Well, I wonder sometimes when I get to glory if I can sing like that, you know. And every preacher wants to sing and every singer wants to preach. I just want to sing and I've never been able to. Gang, I'm glad you're here. Good crowd. We uh, kind of uh, uh, encouraged our church to come to the early service. And man, we were filled out the wazoo. We wonder if anybody's going to show up for the second. And you did. And we're glad that you're here. And I want you to know how honored I am to be able to take God's word this morning and to open God's word and to share some thoughts with you. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'll be a few moments before we get there, but go ahead and turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? Easter Sunday morning, all over the world, people are celebrating, Christians are celebrating the fact that our leader is alive, and only our leader is alive. Other leaders from other religious sects live for a time. They get old and they die. But only Jesus Christ lived. Only Jesus Christ died. And only Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We alone celebrate that he lives. But I want you to listen to me for a moment. If we know all those facts, and if we believe all those facts, and yet they are all are just facts, then we miss what the story of Jesus Christ is all about. I'm convinced I've shared this over the last few weeks, that I'm just convinced that a lot of people, a lot of people in our country, a lot of people, perhaps, that grace the doors of churches every Sunday have a lot of facts stored here, but they've never transferred it here. And gang, if, if all we have is facts, if all we have is that we do believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus did what he said he would do, that he died and then he was buried and then even we might believe that he rose again on the third day. But if it doesn't transform us, if it doesn't do anything in us, if the Holy Spirit doesn't take that truth and burn it into our heart and transform our lives, then all we've got is facts. And at the end, we've got a lot of knowledge, but we have no eternity. We have no security. And I, I told our first service, and let me just, it's kind of in the message, but I'll just mess up the message and say it now. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I believe that Jesus lives. I, I'm glad I believe it because it helps me today. It's going to help. If you believe that, that's going to help you tomorrow. You got to get up and go to the real world tomorrow, right? And you got to go to work and you got to believe that you have a strength that some people don't have, that you have a purpose that some people don't have. And, and I have to have that as well. I, you know, I've got to do my, my job. And so uh, it helps me right now. It helps me live right now. But gang, I, I want to be able to know that it's going to help me in the next world. You know, so many people today, and we're going to deal with it in 1 Corinthians 15, so many people then and so many people today think that, that this is really all there is. And so what you do, you, you live it up now. I said in the first service, and I almost got fired, go for the gusto. 
That's a beer term. You shouldn't do that in a Baptist church. Uh, but that's what I, that's the prevailing philosophy of a lot of people. Just go for it. Because at the end, there's nothing. And this is all there is. I would hate to live that way. I'm so glad to know that at some point when this world ends and the next world unfolds, that after I see my Lord who is alive, I'm going to see my mother. Hmm. I'm going to see my father. Hey, I'm excited about seeing my mother-in-law, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it's eternity. And you see, if we don't take facts, and if we don't take those facts and make them real into our life, then all of this is a waste of time. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Let me tell you what's happening in, in, uh, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, okay? The Apostle Paul uh, is writing to a church that just had manifold problems. I mean, gosh, if you study 1 Corinthians, they dealt with everything. And Paul writes to them about everything. Well, one of the questions I had, one of the things they were struggling with was what I just mentioned to you. What happens after you die? Is this all there is? And there were some who said, well, that's all there is. And Paul said, no, no, the integrity of the gospel is what is at stake here. The integrity of the gospel is that Jesus died for sin. Let's make that very personal. Jesus died for Tom's sin. Mark, Jesus died for your sin, see? And that after he died... Because the penalty of sin had to be thrust out. God's holiness required that sin's penalty be paid. And Jesus took my place. We call that the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus. Instead of me, Jesus, for some strange reason, God gave his son. And for some strange reason, the son said, I'll take Tom's place. And so he took it all, nothing more to give. And then he died. The integrity of the gospel is not only did Jesus Christ die, but he was buried. There was nothing more to be done. There was no more lash upon his back. There was no more nail. There was no more drop of blood that could be spilled. He did it all. Jesus gave it all, and God said, I don't want any more. That's enough for me. And then after three days, to prove it was enough, God raised his son from the dead. The integrity of the gospel, the integrity of God is at stake with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But gang, if it doesn't become personal, if it's not your resurrection story, then it means nothing. And so Paul, as he writes to the church, he's trying to help them understand that there's more to this than just living and dying. And I'll tell you how he does it. So, I love studying the Bible. It's so cool to me how God does this. Um, some of you might, how many of you um, growing up liked English? <laughs> One person. All right. I didn't either, but I want to tell you, I wish I had loved it. Because let me tell you how Paul wrote, right? He, he kind of backs into a truth. He kind of does it in a negative way. In fact, what he's going to do, he's going to give seven different if words. Now, an if word is a little conjunction, I'm told, by grammarians that, that gives conditions. 
if, if it's cloudy, then it's going to rain. You with me? If, if Duke hits their three points, they're going to beat Wisconsin. Can I get an amen? Okay? That's, that's, that's the idea of, uh, of conditional sentences, okay? He's going to give seven of them in the text we're going to read. And he's kind of building up into a crescendo. And at the end in verse 20, man, he's just going to slam the people. And I hope slam us today with truth, okay? But let's take our Bibles. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I know you've stood up a lot, but I, 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 we got to stand for the Bible, don't we? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's all that important we stand for singing. Um, but I tell you what, I think it's important that, that we stand for the Bible, okay? And we're going to begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to read verses 12 through 19. Then I'll close at the beginning of verse 20. But as I read, watch for the conjunctions. Watch for that little word if, okay? And then I'll kind of share with you kind of what came out of my study. Now, if, there's the word, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? See, that was the question. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. And I'll talk about that. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. You see all those ifs? It'll get confusing if you're not careful. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Then those also have fallen asleep. That's the word meaning died, of our death. Those who have died in Christ have perished because there's no resurrection is what he's saying. If, now notice, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let me just jump there before we pray and try to unfold it. He says, if we believe in Christ and hope for Christ just in this life, and we have no hope of Christ in the next life, he uses the word pity. Pity, 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 Tom. Pity, 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 Justin. Jerry. Pity, people. If that's all we've got. Father, help me, because this is good stuff. Don't let me get sidetracked. Don't let me get distracted here. Let me stay to the point, on point, and then God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be said, I promise you the next time you get up will be to go out and eat somewhere, okay? And ladies, your husbands will buy your lunch, okay? I'll just put them on the spot, all right? All right, now, dear people, listen to me. There has to be a reason. And there has to be a good result if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was in the Father's plan and if Christianity 
is beneficial to us. You understand what I mean by that, don't you? This, this thing called religion, this thing called relationship, which is better than religion, this thing called church, this thing called the Word of God, this thing called uh, Christian, believer, all that stuff, it's got to have a sense it's worth it to me. It's got to be beneficial to me because, gang, if it's not beneficial to me, I'd be better off fishing today. If it's not beneficial to me, I'd be better off golfing today. If it's not beneficial to me, there's a host of a lot of other things that I could be doing and not coming to hear some old gray-headed preacher take 30 minutes of my time. So what Paul says as he backs into something so positive, he says, first of all, if there be no resurrection, and I want you to bracket verse 12 through 14. Actually, verse 14 is the main one. He says, if there is no resurrection, our message has no substance. Okay? In fact, the word vain that he uses there literally is a word which means void or empty. Okay? You see, if Jesus Christ was like all other religious leaders of world history, then you would live once and then go, go for it. I understand. Go for it. Live once. And then you die. And that's all there is to it. Now, beloved, if I believe that, if I believe that, that there's nothing else to this, that there's no other reason or purpose for me to be alive, I wouldn't be wasting my time trying to tell people the way of eternal life. If I believe that's all there is, I wouldn't be burdened or care about their soul. I wouldn't tell them to consider what comes next. I wouldn't spend my evenings meeting with people, spend my afternoons and evenings going to the hospital. And I'll tell you, if this, if I didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I sure, would, I sure wouldn't be happy that my son and his wife and my two grandkids are spending their life overseas and we're missing our grandkids grow up and missing all of their birthdays and all of the Christmases and, and all of the years. If I didn't believe, this would be a waste of time, you see if that's all there is. And Paul says if our message is groundless and our faith is useless, then I am indeed wasting my time and you're wasting your time and we're wasting our energy and frankly, we're wasting on our money. If there's no resurrection, Paul says the first absurdity of religion is this. And Paul says there's no substance. There's nothing real to what we believe. And I want to tell you, many people back then when Paul was writing this letter and the inspiration of the Lord believed that, and it's amazing to me how many people believe that today. In fact, I'm sure you're aware, gang, we're in a really uh, an interesting time of Christianity. We're not the most, have you ever, did you guys realize that we're not the most popular people in the world right now, you know? And, and, and the sad thing, I think, is that if we disagree, we're labeled as being mean-spirited and hateful people. And I, 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 that saddens my heart. 
I don't hate anybody. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, we have a right. I mean, how many, how many of you have been married over five years? Yeah, you ever have a fight? I mean, haven't you learned to disagree without getting guys a black eye? Maybe not. You see, and so as Christians, uh, we, we're struggling with learning how to stand but not be labeled. And if all this is is a bunch of junk, if Christ be not raised, what Paul says, there's nothing to what you're standing for. There's no substance. By the way, the word used, it hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with content. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with delivery. It has to do with content. It has to do with the substance of what you believe. And many of them and many today really don't think anything comes next. And Paul says, no, that's so wrong. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ was personal. That Jesus died for sin, punished for sin, was buried, rose again the third day on behalf of the sacrifice of sin for other people and put your name there. And if you believe that, it changes your life. So that's the first negative. Okay, the second negative, you look at verse 15 through 17. He'll say that if there is no resurrection, our testimony has no significance. I want to show you something. In verse 15, you see that those words, false witnesses? That's actually one word in the original, and it's, it's literally two words put together, pseudo-martyr. Now, we know what a martyr is, don't we? A martyr is someone who lives out what they believe. We call it a witness. Testimony, oftentimes the word martyr means someone who dies for what they believe, and it does mean that, but it doesn't always believe that, mean that. It means a witness. He uses the word pseudo there, which means a false witness. Now, let me tell you what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then I am, and if you believe that, you are liars. And first he says we're lying against God because we're saying God did something he didn't do, and then we're lying to other people. What we're doing is living a delusion. And this book we call the Bible is nothing more than a novel. It's a collection of stories. It's fables, and Christ is an empire. In fact, I read this week with all this tension going around and everything so everything so magnified, you know. And I'm thinking, God, take a chill pill, you know. And 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 I, I read where someone said, you know, it's just this is just a bunch of stories about somebody who maybe lived in history, uh, has no meaning for today, has no truth to it. And gang, it, it, and Paul says, if that's true, then we're just a bunch of liars. And I'll tell you what else it means. It means that every man and every lady and every child throughout all of human history who has ever been killed for their belief died for nothing. It also means that those who are being killed at this very moment, and gang, there's more people being killed for the faith in Jesus Christ today than any time in history. Did you know that? More in this century, we read about back then and we read about the wickedness of Rome and and all, there's more people dying for Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ today than ever before. And let me tell you something else. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't want to be a doomsday. I'm not trying to be that. But I want to tell you, that's going to increase until Christ comes back. The church is under attack. If you're part of God's church, if you've been redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus, if you believe the cross was Cal of Calvary was real, I want to tell you, as time goes on, as time marches on, as the return of Christ grows near, it's going to ramp up some, you see. Do you believe 
that a daddy would sit there and watch his wife get raped or his kids be beheaded and give in to something that's a lie? Do you believe that he would capitulate on everything he believes for a worthless idea or a worthless lie? No, no, no. Gang, listen to me. There has to be something about this gospel. I want to challenge you today. I don't know where you stand with God. It's none of my business between you and God. But I do have the responsibility to challenge you. And I want to challenge you today to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. There has to be something about this gospel that would allow daddies to watch their wives get misused and their kids abused and still believe in Christ. There's got to be something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that would cause people to stand with Christ when everything in their life and everything they hold dear in life gets wiped away in front of them, you see. Verse 17 uses the word worthless. It's the word fruitless. Paul says if there's no resurrection, there's no redeeming value here. The entire story about the virgin birth, the sinless life, The substitutionary death is worthless and a lie. And Paul says in verse 17, and the worst part is, you're still in your sin. There's no rescue. There's no deliverance. You just die in your sin, and that's worse. That's tragic. That's eternal. And then the third negative, if you'll kind of bracket 18. In fact, we'll read 18 and 19, okay? Not only... Does our message have no substance? Not only does our testimony have no significance, but Paul wants us to know that our eternity has no security. Look at verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. The worst word, I think, in all of Human language is the word hopeless. Paul says if there's no resurrection, our eternity is hopeless. It's just a figment of somebody's poor imagination. You see, the zest for life and the confidence in the next life is built around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, gang, there's something better waiting for us. I I mean, you know. I, I was a kid growing up in the country, and, uh, you know, one thing Grandma did, I mean, Grandma could cook, and, uh, man, we ate good. I remember the chicken, you know, going out chop, I can't say chopping the head off chicken, what they run around, you know. Ain't nothing like a chicken, farm-raised chicken. And Grandma would cook it, and man, we'd have all this thing, and, uh, and, and Grandma would always say, hey, don't eat too much. There's something else coming. And Grandma would make, Meringue, they don't make meringue pie anymore like Grandma did. You know what I'm talking about? It was yellow and jelly, and the, the clabber on top, you know, was about like this thick. And Grandma would always say, now, boy, don't eat too much. The best is yet. And I want to tell you something, you believer of Jesus Christ. You who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus. 
you who have seen what the sacrifice of Calvary really means, how he was beaten beyond human recognition, how he suffered imaginably for, for your sin, and how they, they nailed him to a cross, and, and, and how they mocked him and laughed. Those of you who believe that, I want to tell you, you, don't even, you can't even imagine what this next world's going to be like. All we get now is a little bit of a taste of it. But because we've been, because God the Father said, son, you're going to be the substitute because sin's going to get paid for. And I'm going to pour out my wrath on you so I don't pour it out on them. And the son said, okay, I'll do it. And they didn't take his life. The Bible said he laid it down for them, right? And he's the one who said it is finished. And he's the one who said it is complete. And he's the one who gave up his life. God said enough. That guarantees that the next life will be the better life. But it's only a better life when, I, when you understand facts in the head and they become truth in the heart. And not only are they beneficial for you, but you realize that you need to accept them personally. The Bible says you do that through repentance of sin and you do that through faith in Christ alone. Okay, And so he, he does all this negative stuff so that he can get to verse 20. I mean, can you imagine how he slammed them? I can just see their looks on their faces. Negative, if there is none, if there is none, you know, if, if, if seven times, and then verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Slammed them, man. And I hope the Spirit slams you with the truth that Christ is, has been, will always be raised from the dead. Now, I want to read you something, and, I, and this, will, this, will be, this will be our conclusion. We'll get out of here in just a moment, okay? I wrote down something. I, we're going to put it up there. Um, I think we are. We might. Here we go. I want to read this to you, and, and I want to read it carefully. Let me make a statement. Um, I don't believe in atheism. I don't believe that. I, I, I just... And, I, and I'll tell you why. Romans 1 tells us that, uh, that God wrote himself into the heart, of, the knowledge of himself into the heart of every man, okay? Now, Romans 1 tells us that man suppressed, push, the word suppressed means to push down. So what that man does is he pushes down truth, and then man exchanges truth. He'll exchange the truth of the creator for creation, things that the creator has made. Because he doesn't want to submit to the creator, he'll come up with every other excuse to push away truth and accept something and reject what's true, okay? So this leads to the statement I want to make to you. Man in sin pushes down God in his heart, but if man will just dig deep enough into his soul, he will see that God Almighty has written eternity in there. Now, I, I said man suppresses and man tries to exchange it. But again, I'm telling you this. Even those who, who hate us and those who raise all kinds of, of junk against us, down in their heart, God has written eternity there. And if they'll just dig deep enough, they'll find God there because God is the one who's done it. And even though man is a fallen creature, 
and man is marred in sin, there is still enough of the image of God inside of man that should cause man to seek God, to know that God exists, and to know that God's word is true. Now, I, I don't, l- listen to my heart. I love music. I love what we did. I wish I could sing like Stephanie and Cheris and Debbie, and, you know, I wish I could play like these guys. I wish I could drum like Harry, okay? That's just music. That stirs your heart. You know, right? I wish I could pluck a, wish I could plunk, click like you do, Jeff. That's just music. This, this is what changes, you see. This is what changes. The Word of God is called the special revelation of God. This is what changes. And if you would, if you're on some kind of uh, anti-God thing, or if you're not sure about God, I, the only thing I can tell you is, you know, everybody, there's like millions of people have died for this because they think there's something about it that's true. And I would challenge you, why don't you just check it out? You know, why don't you just, why don't you check it out? Why don't you read the Gospel of John? Just see, maybe. Because, see, when you begin reading God's Word, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to agitate. It's the Holy Spirit. I can't convince you anyway. Your teachers can't convince you. Um, but God can in His Word. And there's enough knowledge down inside of you, marred as it may be, imperfect as we may be, there's still enough knowledge down in there that you are made in the image of God. And when you read the Word of God, it will be confirmed that God does exist. His Word is true. And I believe that if man would just consider it, he might just find out that God is calling him to himself. I was reading in my quiet time last week, and I'm in the book of Acts, and I I was reading um, Acts 9, and it's the story of Saul who became Paul, became the guy who wrote wrote this letter. And I, I saw a word I'd never seen before. You know, now, if you don't know anything about the story of Saul that became Paul, he just really, he, you talk about hating the Christians, this guy was worse than anything you read about today. I mean, you read, watch some of the stuff being said, listen, Paul was a kingpin of it all, okay? But he was a chosen vessel. And on the road to Damascus, he'd gone in and he had proved of killing and dragging, breaking up families, doing all that kind of junk, man. And he was on the road to Damascus to to wreak havoc on the church. And a light shone from heaven. Suddenly, is that word, suddenly the light, suddenly God grabbed him. Convinced him of truth and drew him to himself. I would just suggest to you something. That if you'll... Dig a little down deep in your soul. And just be objective enough to say, well, maybe that old gray-headed preacher did know what he's talking about a little bit. And you begin to dig out the word just a little bit. You know what I think you might find? There is something to this God that exists and to this son that died and to an empty tomb that rose the son of God from the dead. And it might mean something to me. Well, let's pray. Stu's going to come for just a moment. I just want you to consider the claims of it. You know, don't be so quick to throw it away. I just think if I were you, I'd just say, you know, maybe I ought to just be a little objective and see. Father, there may be someone here today that's just wrestled with this whole thing. And I understand that. 
Because if you don't enlighten, if you don't turn the light bulb on, we're, we all stay like we are. How you grab Saul who became Paul is kind of how you grab all of us in our own ways. Maybe not quite as dramatic, but the same revelation. Maybe today there's something that would be willing to say, I'm interested. I'd like to explore it. For those of us who believe it, God, we praise you that it was in your mind that you killed your son. When you was enough, you buried him. And to show us, you raised him. And now he ever lives, sitting on his throne. I think, Father, he's packing his bag, getting ready to come back and get us. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, would you? For just a moment.